Uh, my name is Chris Owen. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. A couple of things that we need to get out of the way. There's a technical issue, more likely my fault, but my slides and everything won't be on the screen today. So we're going to go old school. This stuff made out of paper and has ink. You might remember what that looks like. Uh, I'm going to ask the guys to turn the lights on if you could. Uh, so if you've got your Bible with you or you've got your phone, go ahead and pull it out. And uh, I'm excited about a, the word of, uh, that God's put on my heart today. And so uh, while they're doing that and getting the lights turned on, I just want to uh, kind of let you know a little bit about who I am. I've been, uh, this is my home church, been here for over five years, uh, go pushing six, I actually think. I've been working at Southeastern University and uh, a couple of things. If you haven't been by there lately, you really need to go. We've done a little bit of work. Uh, in the last 18 months, we've added a quarter of a million quarter of a million square feet of educational space uh, on our campus. It's getting ready to come to uh, completion this September uh, with a five-story live-learn building that houses like 361 new beds, two floors of classrooms. It is going to be, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, you'll love it. Things are going great at our school. We'll have record enrollment again this fall, pushing uh, towards 6,000, somewhere around 5,500, and we're excited. Uh, the one thing that I love to point out as our college, our university grows, the largest and fastest growing college uh, in our university is the uh, College of Christian Ministries and Religion. And so I love to be able to tell people we haven't drifted from our mission. We're on point of raising up people to go around the world and preach the gospel. We just believe that not just missionaries and pastors do that, but educators, psychologists, business people as well. And so I'm excited about what God is doing on our campus. But as good as things are going there, uh, this last week's been a little bit crazy. Uh, how many of you would agree with me that what's unfolding on social media and in the news is absolutely heartbreaking right now? Uh, I don't know how you responded this week, but there came several moments. I had to put my phone down. I couldn't watch it. I couldn't take the conversations anymore. Uh, with social media now, we are now in the seat with someone who's taking their last breath uh, after being shot. We're watching live stream footage of police officers being assassinated on the streets of Dallas uh, it just feels like to me, I don't know how you view it, but that our country has erupted in a little bit of chaos. Would you agree? Uh, I, I know that uh, for me, I'll be 45 this year. Outside of 9-11, I have no reference point for what I saw this week. Right? I remember exactly where I was on 9-11 when, when people from another country attacked our country, and it seemed a little simpler than uh, still devastating and heartbreaking, and I'll never forget it. But when I look on the news and on social media and I see Americans killing Americans and racism in our country and, and the things that are going on, I, I found myself uh, crying, angry, frustrated. Uh, anybody else that way this week? And, and, and you just look to God and go, where are you in all of this? What, what, what are you doing? Uh, how are you letting this happen? And so today, I'm just going to kind of unpack some scripture about how we as Christians, because there, there came a point this week, um, I texted a friend of mine, his name's Ray, and we became friends about six, seven years ago. And we couldn't be more opposite people. You have any friends like that in your life that you are polar opposites of who they are? I grew up in South Carolina with a gun in my hand and a hymn book in the other hand and, you know, wood pew seats and stained glass windows. And Ray grew up on the streets of South Dade listening to sirens and, and watching drive-bys and, and literally will tell you uh, his lifestyle. And so when he and I became friends, it was this... Uh, 
odd couple, if you would say. Uh, I'm white, he's black. Uh, our, our backgrounds are completely different, and he's one of my closest friends. And I texted him this week, and I probably should have been better with what I texted him. I said, I have to talk to you now. It's not, probably not what you want someone to text you. I need to talk to you now. And so Ray calls me, and uh, I said, hey, man, where are you at right now? What are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm cooking brisket with some of the police officers. And I just thought, wow, what a great, what a great response. Okay, I said, are you watching what's going on on TV and, and, and these things are unfolding? And he goes, yeah, man. Yeah, he said, I'm blown away. I said, I need to talk to you. I just need to sit down. And so the next morning we grab coffee and Ray looks at me and he goes, man, I just want to say thank you for being so kind and gracious and, and, and caring about me, the way to call uh, and, and, and just, I really appreciate you being that kind of friend to me. And, and I looked at him, I said, Ray, I, I want so bad to be that friend. I didn't call you to check on you. I called you to get your advice and get your help. And he looked, he goes, he goes fair enough, fair enough. I said, but I do care, and, and we're going to talk about it. I said, Ray, I don't know how to process what's going on. I don't know what it's like to sit in your seat. I said, can you help me get my mind around this? And when, just when I thought things couldn't get crazier, Ray starts to tell me, he goes, yeah, man. He said, uh, he said welcome to my world. It's, it's crazy. He said, just last week, my kids were, uh, we were out getting uh, ice cream here in Polk County. And I'm sitting at the table, and I got my kids with me. And uh, a car pulls up, rolls down the window, and these people begin to yell uh, racial slurs out the window. Uh, and he says, I look, and they were directing them to this table. He said, there were four uh, black high school students sitting there. And he said, I caught eyes with the young lady, and she caught eyes with me. And we both said, we kind of looked at each other like, what's next? What are we doing? And he said, I have to figure out how to explain this to my son. And my heart broke for him. And on the other side, uh, we actually have a, a graduate from Southeastern that's on the Dallas police force. Uh, who's checking in with a, uh, one of our professors going, hey, I'm okay but I'm wounded and basically saying that I'm physically okay, but my heart is broken right now for what's going on. And so I just felt like, man, it's appropriate for us. I kept asking myself as a follower of Christ, what do I do with this? How do I respond to this in an appropriate manner? What am, I, I know that God has called us to be the church, to be the hope of the world. How do we respond? Then I begin to think about it in preaching here this morning. I begin to think, you know, it would be easy to just talk about what happens in other places or, or how, you know, this, this thing that's going on in America. But I begin to think about the idea of, of, of chaos and calming the chaos in our lives. I begin to realize that everybody in the room at some point has had a mess that's popped up in your life, chaos that's erupted. I mean, you can have the chaos of family when you said, I do, and you're going to marry someone, and you're going to be together for the rest of your life, and all of a sudden, things begin to go differently, and, and it's not the way you thought it was going to be, and your, your family's falling apart, and you go, what am I supposed to do with this? How do I respond? Or, or maybe you've got a, a, a son or a daughter who is far away from God, and they're living not anything like the way you raised them to live. Is anybody in the room, you've got someone right now you've been praying for for years that's away from God, and you're like, man, all I want is for them to come home. Hey, can I just say to you, I'm a product of those prayers. I was the crazy one in my family. Uh, my dad prayed for me every day, and he also had a plan. Uh, he handed me a business card of a sheriff's officer in his, in his church, in our church. And he goes, hey, uh, you're so lost right now. I don't know what to do with you. So when they arrest you, call him. I'm not coming to get you. 
Uh, so he had a plan and he prayed. I'm not sure how he felt about me. Uh, luckily enough, I was never booked. Uh, some of you are going, where are we right now? Please bring Jeff back. Relax, this is good. This is just real life. Some of you have got family members that are, that are far away from God and it's, it's ripping your family apart. Others of you, man, you're facing financial chaos in your life. Man, you, you've, you've prided yourself on paying your bills on time and maybe you lost a job or maybe some bad habits caught up with you and, and they're beginning to wreak havoc on your finances and in your life. How do you respond as a Christ follower when all of the chaos of this world is unleashed upon you? Or maybe it's relational friends, someone that you grew up and that you thought that they would always have your back. And for some reason, man, they're not there anymore. And conflict and, 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 and resentment has broken your relationship. What do you do as a believer to calm the chaos in your life? Well, let me tell you something. Now that I've painted such a beautiful picture for today's service, right? I've got us all happy and joy and up. Here's, let me tell you the reality of it. Our God is not shocked by one thing that's happened in this world. Our God is not taken back. He hasn't taken his eyes off of you. He is able to heal, to restore, to bring back to the way he called this place to be and for us to be, and he's going to use his church to do that. I believe that now more than ever is the time for the church to rise up and not be on its heels and not be silent, but to rise up and to be a people of prayer. And so here's what I'm going to unpack today. Yeah, you can. Here's the, here's the simple idea that, that I, want to, I want to unpack today is that God hears the cries of his people. Pretty simple. God hears the cries of his people. This last week, uh, have you ever tried to have a conversation in a crowded restaurant and you just finally gave up because you couldn't hear the person across the table from you? That's kind of how I felt with, with social media uh, this week, I kept looking and checking on friends, and, and, and it just like I'd hear this voice screaming off the page, and it was the voice of, you know, uh, of pride saying, hey, this is not my fault. Don't blame this on me. And then I heard other voices of indifference going, hey, this is not my problem. I'm not going to get involved. And, and then this voice of anger saying, man, it's my time to be heard. I want to be heard right now. But in the midst of all of that chaos, some voices that I thought would be there were there. And they were the voice of humility. People who were saying, I don't understand all of this, but I know there's a huge problem. Can you help me? I'm here to listen. I believe God can change things. There's a voice of love that says, I believe it's time to help. How can I serve? I believe there was a voice of faith that emerged off of the social media streams that says, hey, I believe God's bigger than all the problems that we have. And my favorite voice and the voice that we're going to talk in today is the voice of hope that our best days are ahead of us, not behind us, that God has a future for us that's bright and a future for us to make us whole and to live as his children. So no matter what you're facing in the room today, whether it's the chaos of our world, the chaos of a family member, the chaos of finances, you serve a God who can stand up and speak, peace be still, and everything can change in a moment. You also serve a God that looks and goes, I'm gonna walk with you through it. I may not take you out of it, but I'll give you the strength and the ability to walk through it. Does that make sense? So hey, here's the passage we're gonna do. It's not on the screen today. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter seven. What do you do when all the chaos of the world begins to unleash upon you? I think it's simple. You call out to God and you ask for his help. So I'm gonna give you some context of where we're reading. Chapter six, in fact, 2 Chronicles 
is what we find David has now died. He's no longer the king. He's passed it off to his son. But when David was alive, he had a dream, simple dream. He goes, I want to build a tabernacle. I want to build a place that, God, I know no one could build anything worthy of who you are. But I really want to build a place that you would come and inhabit. I want to build a tabernacle that's worthy, the best that I have. Do you know what God's response to him was? He goes, I'm glad that you have that idea in your heart, but it's not your job. It's going to be your son's. And David said, okay, I get it. So 2 Chronicles, now we see Solomon is now stepping in. He is now the king, and he is fulfilling the promise of creating a tabernacle, a place for God to dwell. This was the place. And so as we read through the first chapters of this, we see the process where Solomon's building this up. In chapter 6, he's done, right? And this is important that we grab this. Chapter 6, he's built this magnificent tabernacle. All of the people are gathering, and Solomon steps out, and he steps onto this little platform, and he begins to breathe this prayer. And he begins to pray, and I'll just give you kind of, it's, man, 30-some verses. Let me give you the gist of it. He goes, God... There is no one like you in all of the world, and I hope that you are pleased with this, and I hope that your presence marks it forever. Now, I know we're not faithful, and though you'll never change and never leave us, when a man breaks his oath to another man, would you come in your presence, and would you judge him, and would you not forsake us? And when we are defeated by our enemies because we sinned against you, and we turned our backs on you, God, Would you always listen to our prayers of repentance and come rescue us when we're ready? And God, when disease and disaster comes, whatever they may be, Lord, would you always hear the cry of your people and and forgive them of their sin and heal their land? And so the passage that we're going to read today out of chapter uh, 7 and verse 14, the Bible says that when Solomon was done with this prayer, fire came from heaven Right? I love saying that. I, I keep waiting for one day to be in the room. I want to see this, but I can imagine it in my mind. Fire comes from heaven. All of the people around look and go, surely this is God's presence confirming and inhabiting this place. And what we read in 714 is God's response to Solomon's prayer. And can I just encourage you? Some of you have been praying for years. It may not happen immediately. I just believe that God always answers the prayers of his people. That God always responds to the cries of his people. And listen to what he had to say in chapter 7 and verse 14. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let me say that again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's pray. Father, over the next few minutes, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. God, eyes to see what needs to change in us and in the world around us. And God, the courage to take the first step in becoming and doing what you've called us to do. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, I I just believe that out of 714, God gives us a simple process for how to deal with the chaos in our life. 
And I'm going to go ahead and give it to you if you're taking notes. I told you the big idea I want to unpack is God answers the cries of his people. And here's how I believe we go about approaching God. Because if I'm going to say anything to you in the room today, it's this. When tough times come on you, don't try to handle it alone. Go straight to God first. Man, we waste so much time trying to be our own God. How many of you in the room, miss the last thing you'll ever do is admit you're wrong? Come on. Nobody? Yes? Man after my own heart, right? right? There are how many arguments that have taken place in your home, and you knew you were wrong, but you weren't going to admit it. Come on. Let's just confession's good for the soul. Let's make it happen. What I love is when the wife or the husband looks at the wife, no one's going to raise their hand, but he'll give her that look like, mm-hmm, that's you. The altar's waiting. Don't you love it? Man, I come from a long lot of hard-headed people. Amen? The last thing we're going to... And so here's what I thought. Let's just do a, a nice exercise together. You may never hear it again from your spouse, but if they're obedient and they'll follow me today, you might hear it for the first time. I just want you to repeat after me. I was wrong. <laughs> always love it. First service had the same thing. I was, and someone always said, right. Right? There are four steps in approaching God or handling any chaos in your life. And I'm going to go ahead and lay them out and then we'll unpack them. Humility, prayer, seeking wisdom, and responding to the truth. Let me just say it again. Humility, prayer, asking for, asking for help, seeking the truth, and responding to God's wisdom. Okay? So let's break it down. Humility is the ability to admit there's a problem bigger than you. And the problem that we have is when we begin to blame other people. See, the voice of pride goes, that's not my problem. I didn't create that. I'm living a good life. And God says, well, great. The responsibility of a blessed person is to bless others. What are you doing about that? And when we look at the problem that's going on around the world and in our country today, I don't think it's appropriate for us as the church and go, man, thank God that's Dallas and not Lakeland. you got the the pulse... Uh, a shooting that took place in Orlando in our backyard. These things are real in our life, and people are looking for the church to see how are you going to respond. And here's the beauty of it. God never looked at you and said, hey, solve all the problems of the world. God said, if my people, called by my name, us, will humble themselves. Man, the first thing is God... We are facing some chaos that I don't know how to deal with. God, I don't understand. I looked at, I looked at Ray at Starbucks on Lake Miriam, and I said, dude, I don't understand what it's like to be who you are. He goes, Chris, he said, you know we're friends, and you've watched the story of my life for the last seven years and all that I've overcome. When I left Miami and I came to Southeastern, my life has changed. He said, what's heartbreaking to me is that no matter what I've accomplished, there are people in this world that will only see the color of my skin. If I have a calloused heart to my friend who's going through that, what does that say about me? Man, humility is not having the answers. Humility is simply going, I I don't know what's going on, but I'm here to listen to you. I want to understand. Pride says it's not my fault. Humility says, help me understand. I want to walk beside you. When you're in your, imagine what your marriage could look like if it wasn't so difficult for you to look across the table and go, listen, I blew it. I invested our money here, and it didn't work out the way I thought. I took too great of a risk, and now we're having trouble paying the rent. That's my fault. I am so sorry that I put our family in this position. Please forgive me. Imagine 
what it would be like in our homes if we could simply look and humble ourselves and go, you know what, I blew it, I'm sorry, this is my fault. God says, man, I oppose the proud, the book of James says, but I give grace to the what? To the humble. If you're going to have the chaos of your life quieted, and the noise and all of the trouble and the mess put back into its place, it will always begin with an act of humility. Bend your knee. Bow before God. Because see, the problem with pride is it it lies to us that we can solve our own problems, that we're self-sufficient, that we are enough. And God says, no, the troubles that you'll face are larger than you. They're bigger than what you can handle. And you're going to need me to help you. So I just believe this process of calming the chaos begins with a humble heart. And then it moves on to the second component, prayer. Humility is acknowledging you have a problem bigger than yourself. Prayer is the discipline of asking for help. How many of you like to fish in the room? How many of you, the thought of being on a boat makes you nauseous right now, and the longer I talk about it, motion sickness is a possibility for you? Come on. Come on, I have a hard and fast rule when you fish with me. I love to fish. In fact, this Tuesday, I'm taking five of my closest friends and we're going deep sea fishing, leaving out of Crystal River uh, uh, for grouper and snapper. My mouth is watering right now. I just can't wait to get back. But they're already talking about it. Like they're texting me back and forth. Hey, I'm gonna start taking Dramamine the night before. Hey, I'm just, they're worried about the sickness. And I said, don't worry about it. I said, because it doesn't count as being sick if you don't stop fishing. They said, what? I said, yeah, we have a simple rule when you fish with me. As long as your hand keeps reeling the reel, you can chum the water all day. It doesn't matter. You didn't get sick. But if you stop fishing, then we're going to give you a hard time that you got sick. They're like, where did you come up with this twisted idea? I said, it's pretty simple. I grew up, uh, I spent six years, six and a half years in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Who knew when I raised my hand, God would say, I'm sending you to the beach. Uh, We were mad when he called us away. Uh, both my kids were born there, and I remember we were going on a deep-sea fishing trip, and I had my brother and another close friend with me, and I tried to coach them. I said, the guys, at breakfast, like 4 in the morning, I said, listen, it's a diesel boat. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't sit in the back of the boat. Now, my brother knows me. He's 11 years older, and we are known for playing tricks on each other, so he didn't believe a word I said. He goes, yeah, yeah, right. That's exactly where I probably should be sitting. I said, no, I'm telling you, if you're back there and just breathe those diesel fumes, you're in trouble. So where does my brother sit when he gets on the boat? In the back, right? And then I tell him, I say, hey, Ken, when you're on your way out, eat pretzels. It's really kind of good. It settles the stomach. You'll be okay. No, no, I'm not. You, you, that's going to make me sick. You're trying to get me sick. I'm just eating pretzels. I'm like, I'm just trying to help you. So we get to our spot and the waves are going up and down right? And it's back and forth. And I'm starting to feel a little queasy. My brother's fishing to my left. And I said, hey, man, uh, in about five minutes, you're going to need to move. He goes, why? I said, because I'm going to get sick. He goes, stop messing with me. I said, I'm not messing with you. I'm just telling you the truth. In about five minutes. And two minutes, I looked at him. I said, hey, you're going to need to move. He goes, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm about to, I'm about to be sick. And I, I, I actually modeled for him our rule. I said, hey, move. And I begin to chum the water like a movie set, right? And I'm just reeling in fish. I've got people pulling fish off my rod and I'm throwing up here. And my brother goes, he looks at me and it's almost as if I gave him permission to get sick. He got sick and did the worst thing possible, put his rod down. So for life, I will tell this story, right? He put his rod down and laid down in the bottom of the boat. 
Next six hours of his life, my brother looked like Bugs Bunny in a cartoon, different shades of green going up and down. You're going, Chris, why would you tell me a story about being seasick and we're talking about the chaos of life? Well, it's pretty interesting. Prayer has an idea. The book of James says this, when trials and tribulations come your way, if you don't know how to respond appropriately, it's okay to ask God for wisdom. Verse 5. But when you ask, ask him for wisdom, who gives generously without finding fault. But when you ask, ask believing that you will receive it. For the one who asks and does not believe is like a double-minded man tossed upon the waves of the ocean. Now there's this idea of being seasick or being what I call soul sick. And, And listen to this. She is a specialist. Her name is Dr. Patricia Cowing. She's a a, a psychophysiologist at NASA, and she's considered one of the world's top experts on motion sickness. In fact, a large majority of her job is to make astronauts sick. And so they gave her the affectionate title, the Baroness of Barf. How would you like that? You thought you had a tough job, right? So a reporter from the Washington Post said, what triggers motion sickness? He's interviewing Dr. Cowings. And she responded, a conflict of information between the sensory systems. Unfamiliar motion can cause the eye and the ear to tell you different things. And when they tell you different things, that creates motion sickness. I believe what James is talking about is this idea of being soul sick. That when you hear the word of God that says, no matter what it is that you're going through, I can deliver you. I can bring you out. Just ask me. But your eye sees the turmoil of the world and you don't believe God can overcome it. We are at odds within our own soul and we're not stable. I believe what God is calling for us to do in times of trouble are to plant our feet solid on the ground and go, God, I humbly come to you, ask you to deliver us from this chaos. I'm praying and believing that you can do even more than I could ever ask or imagine. God, would you save my son? Would you help our finances? Would you heal our country? Would you protect our officers? I believe what the church is called to do right now is to humbly cry out to God and give a listening ear to the people who are hurting. Amen? Humble yourself. Pray and seek his face. The third movement in calming the chaos in your life begins with humility. It moves into prayerfully and faith-filled asking God to give you wisdom on how to respond to the things around you. The third motion is, the third movement is to seek Seek God's presence, seek his favor, seek his wisdom, seek his guidance to pursue God for answers, not just answers, but to pursue God for his presence. What people need right now is the presence of God, Starbucks, in the work cubicle, on the job site, in the classroom. The Bible says that we carry with us the presence of God wherever we go. That if we'll humbly call out to God, ask for wisdom, and seek his face and his presence, then we will be the answer to someone else's problem. God never called us as the church to hide away or to be overwhelmed by the circumstances we face. He said, if you'll just lean into me and seek my presence, I will mark your life with peace and joy and hope and kindness. And I believe what the world needs today right now is a church that's prayed up, 
that's focused on God, full of his presence, walking alongside of people going, I don't know what it's like to be you, but I'm not going to leave your side and I'm going to pray and believe that God's going to change the world we live in. So this last spring, uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, to finish something that I started. And I'm going to ask the, the band to come if they would. And we're going to close here in just a second. But uh, I got a chance to walk across the, uh, the platform at George Fox University. I finally finished uh, my doctoral studies. And that was a huge mile marker in my life. And I remember that day and, and being finished with what I started. And, uh, and so the, along my journey, my, one of my chapters in my dissertation was a theology of listening. And you're like, are you going to give us your dissertation? No, I'm going to take, I'm going to give you what took me five years and 30 seconds, right? This is how it works. But this so radically changed my life. See, the worst thing the church can do is to hear the broken cries of a world, to hear the faith-filled promises of our God, and take them home with them and do nothing. Jesus said, God said to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. This is what 1500 times in the Bible, the word listen appears 1500. And when you begin to examine what it means when God calls his people to listen, it isn't about you sitting in a service and hearing a sermon. It's way deeper than that. In fact, it can be broken down into three responses, three levels of listening. And here's what it is. First, you're aware that it's God who's speaking to you, that it's God's word that's calling you not to just listen to this, but to do something with it. The second motion is you have the discernment. You understand what God's word, how it fits into your life. And the third and most important part of this theology of listening, this is critical, so hear me. You have to respond with action to what you have heard. The Bible says that if you hear God, but don't change your behavior, you actually never heard him. He calls you a person with a hard heart that has failed to hear him. We're surrounded by people right now who need the church to be the church. There are people in the room today. You're you're here, and the chaos isn't what's going on in Dallas. It's the chaos that's going on at your dining room table as your family is just literally being splintered apart. It's the chaos of your checkbook as your finances are spiraling out of control and the anxiety is there. I want to tell you right now what I told you at the beginning. God is not shocked by what's going on in your life. He is not taken back by what's going on in our world. What he's waiting for is the church to cry out so he can answer our prayers. Today, we need to humble ourselves. And we need to go, God, this is bigger than me. I need you. We need to pray and say, Lord, give me wisdom. I believe that you have exactly what I need in my life. Give me faith to believe for the miraculous around me. We need to seek his face that we could embody his presence and be the person of life and love and joy. And the last component, we need to respond to what God said to us. He says, look, if you'll turn from what you're doing that's wrong, then I'll heal your land. Then I'll hear you and I will restore you. What I love about our God is he always makes good on his promises. He says, I'll hear you. I'll heal your brokenness and I'll restore your land. 
I just need you to call out to me, turn from your ways, and I'll answer your prayer. Hey, if you're in the room today and you got some stuff going on in your life, you'd say, you know what, Chris, that, that chaos of family, that's me. Or, hey, Chris, the chaos of uh, I lost my job or, or our finances. doesn't matter what it is. But if you're going through something this morning, you'd say, I would love for the church to pray with me. Would you simply raise your hand where you are right now? And we want to pray with you this morning. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, okay, we see you. What I love about these moments is, doesn't mean you're weak, doesn't mean you're flawed. It means you're like the rest of us, weak and flawed. You just know where your help comes from and your hope comes from. So this morning, the church is going to pray for you. We're going to lift our voice together for our friends who said, man, I need God to answer the cry of my heart. I need God to do something in my life. We're going to pray for you. And when we're done, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray for our nation this morning. And we'll close with that. But right now, would you lift your voice with me? And can we pray for those who lifted their hands and said, man, I need God to do something miraculous. Father, in this moment, we humbly approach your throne and we simply say, God, give us wisdom. Lord, we call out to you, God. You know what's going on in our hearts. You know what's going on in our lives. And Lord, in these moments, we ask you to touch our friends, to lift the burden from them, God, to be with them, Lord. Whatever they're, they're facing, whatever struggle it, way, it may be, God, heal, heal them. God, restore their families, restore their finances. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord, we repent for all that we've done, God. Lord, where we have fallen short, Lord, we ask you to forgive us, God. We turn from those and turn to you, and we simply ask you, be God in our lives today. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hey, stand to your feet, and we're going to close in a time of prayer. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I read this morning there were more shootings and more uh, retaliations. It's craziness what's going on in our country today. Uh, but I'm going to tell you right now, as the church, we cannot sit idly by and do nothing. We have to call out to God on behalf of our country, and we need to pray. Will you join with me this morning, and can we lift our voice and just begin to pray for our country? And if you don't know, if this is new and this is not common to you, uh, it would sound something like this. Just ask God to bring peace where there's chaos. Ask God to do something to come against the racism in our country. Ask God to raise up the church to be people of love and forgiveness and grace. Come on, lift your voice all across this place. Father, we come together today and we begin to lift our voice for our country. God, we've never seen anything like this. And our heart breaks. Lord, and our heart is concerned. God, for those who are afraid, God, Lord, uh, to get in their car and drive down the street. And Lord, for the officers that are afraid, God, that more retaliation is coming. God, our, our nation is plagued with violence and division. Lord, we as the church today, and we come and we go, Lord, we know you. Lord, we know that you can hear us you can heal our land so god today we lift our voice and we simply say would you bring love where there is hatred where you bring unity where there's division lord would you cause the church to rise up and be a voice of grace and compassion and caring and kindness god today we lift up our country we lift up our county to you today and lord we just simply ask or let this place God, be a place of love and unity. Lord, we just ask that your hand would 
mark us as the people of God wherever we go to work. God, wherever we are with our families, Lord, that our voice and our life would be a light in a darkened place. Lord, we ask you to forgive us, God. Lord, we ask you to forgive us if it's from indifference, if it's anger, if it's pride, whatever it is. Lord, we repent and we simply say, God, come and heal our land. Lord, we ask you today, Lord, to draw us closer to you as we draw close to the cross. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for being a part of Victory. Go in grace. Have a great night.